Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Remember what we're doing is we're going through 1 John and then we find a proverb to coordinate with the passage from the morning. So this morning was 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, and we talked about the demand of love. John exhorts us to love one another. The display of love that the Son of God was crucified as a sin-bearing sacrifice for us. And then finally, the development of love in our hearts as God the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ so that we can love one another. Now, so the proverb that I've chosen to coordinate with 1 John chapter 4 is hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You know, the, um, we had a season, we are definitely a verse-by-verse congregation. We had a season when we were going through the book of Ezekiel where occasionally it felt like we were more of a chapter-by-chapter congregation. But not to disappoint you, we will now be a word-by-word congregation, right? So hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Perhaps the most famous example of hatred stirring up strife in American history began in 1863 with two families that lived alongside the Tuck Fork of the Big Sandy River in Kentucky, on the Kentucky-West Virginia border. It's when they started killing each other, and Devil Ants Hatfield and old Randall McCoy were the two feuding patriarchs. They stopped killing each other in 1891. I think the last court case related to the killing was in the early 1900s. But it was only 20 years ago, 20 years ago, almost to the day, I think it was in June 2003, that uh, more than 60 descendants of the two families signed a formal official truth. Rio Hatfield said about the truth, quote, We're not saying you don't have to fight because sometimes you do have to fight, but you don't have to fight forever. And the truth, the truce itself says, quote, we ask by God's grace and love that we be forever remembered as those that bound together the hearts of two families to form a family of freedom in America. Hatred stirs up strife, but love, the love of God, covers all offenses. Well, we're going to consider our word-by-word exposition of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, under three headings. Hopefully you can see them up there. The conflict hatred brings, the cover of love for our offenses, and then finally, the choice before us. So conflict cover, and choice. So first, the conflict hatred brings. Hatred stirs up strife. Well, what's hatred? Hatred is intense dislike. It's not anger. I can be angry with people that I love. 
but I cannot hate people that I love. Hatred often arises in the context of envy. Someone is something or has something that we desperately desire, and so we resent him or her. Proverbs 28, 25 begins, a greedy man stirs up strife. Hatred stirs up strife and greed stirs up strife. Generally speaking, when you hate something, you want the death, destruction, or annihilation of that thing. I hate mosquitoes. I hate them. It is a strong dislike that simmers over into a desire for their annihilation. I mean, maybe some of you who are biologically uh, inclined can persuade me that for some reason these are very helpful for the ecosystem or something like that. But if there was a button right here and pushing the button would annihilate mosquitoes forever, I would push the button. I hate mosquitoes. So that's what hatred is. Hatred is intense dislike, often arising from envy, that desires the destruction of the object of the hatred. Well, what does it mean that hatred stirs something up? Now, what does it mean to stir something up? It means to coordinate materials that are already present to bring something new into existence. If you stir something up in the kitchen, then you gather the materials, the necessary ingredients. You put some kind of spoon or spatula. I know almost as little about cooking as I know about biology, but I'm trying for your benefit. <laughs> to, so you stir it up, right? You mix the ingredients together in the hopes that in this mixture of things, you will produce something new. And hatred produces the desire to get your hands dirty in order to accomplish an objective. You want to take the already existing tensions and conflicts that exist, mix them together in new and exciting ways to produce something. And what is it that you want to produce? Hatred stirs up strife. You want to produce conflict, quarrels, or dissension. If uh, hatred is the itch, then strife is the scratch, right? If hatred is the itch, strife is the scratch. The church is not immune to strife. Oh, how we wish it were so, but it's not the case. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is detailing all of his hardships for the sake of the gospel, it's truly extraordinary all that he suffered for Jesus. Uh, the one that really always fascinates me is not so much the physical punishment, but when he talks about being lost at sea. To be lost at sea in the ancient world must have been absolutely terrifying. You know, now if I was lost at sea, it'd still be terrifying, but I would hope for planes flying overhead and helicopters, whereas to be lost at sea in the ancient world must have been absolutely terrifying. But Paul ends this list of 
horrific experiences that he faced for the sake of Jesus with the uh, statement, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Apart from all of these things, oh yeah, they beat me, I was lost at sea, etc., etc. I was stoned to, you know, like that would be, not stoned as in drugs, you know, but, but people throwing rocks at me to kill me. Um, truly horrific. But he ends that list by saying, oh, there's a, you know, imagine the pressure on me. And in fact, Paul has it with the Corinthian church in the next chapter, in the very next chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, Paul says, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. As James says in chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James's concern and Paul's concern was not the concern of there are people outside of the church that hate us. This is a given, right? As Jesus himself said, the world will hate you because the world hated me first. What is distressing is that we could have strife and friction and conflict within the church. Now, we cannot appease people by being, you know, if they hate us, we cannot appease people by somehow avoiding conflict with them. Now, sometimes we can, you know, if you don't like your neighbor, you can pretend that you don't see him or her, or, you know, maybe just kind of, you, you know, bring your car into the garage and scamper into your house and you don't make eye contact. I mean, there are ways that we can avoid people, but we can't in the church, right? We can't in the church. I mean, you can leave Covenant Church, and that's one way to avoid the conflict, but you shouldn't do it. Instead, you should think about love covering all offenses, which we'll get to in a moment. But let's remember that even if there are people that hate us, because they deep in their hearts hate God. We've got to remember where we were. Paul himself in um, Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's how we lived. And if you think about the biography of the Apostle Paul, he definitely hated Christians and his hatred stirred up strife for them. And some of us this evening may have to confess that we hate God. Now we may pass off our hatred of God as indifference, 
I think it was Henry David Thoreau when his Aunt Louisa asked him whether or not he made peace with God, and he said, I didn't know that we had quarreled. Oh, you've quarreled with God, Henry David Thoreau, and also every person in this congregation this evening, including the preacher. And the question is whether or not we have turned away from our hatred of God. Because if we, if we hate God, we're going to hate his people. And so that is a serious question for us. But then some of us may not uh, hate God so much. We may not have an intense dislike for God, but we insufficiently appreciate how precious we are to God. And that's why we should turn from the conflict that hatred brings to the cover of love for our offenses. So hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love covers all offenses. You know, people say that love is, love is blind, and that's, that's incorrect. Love is not blind. Love covers offenses. Love does not pretend that the offenses are not there. So often I think that, that people say, I'm, I'm so sorry. I apologize. I'm, I'm, I, I did you wrong. I'm so sorry. And people tend to say, hey, don't worry. It's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. If I have wronged you or if you have wronged me, if, if we have offended against each other and before the holy God of the universe, then we should be contrite. We should be repentant. And we should expect that love covers our offenses. Love does not push our offenses away through neglect or forgetfulness. It's not that we let, that love lets these things slip off into the ether. On the contrary, love covers an offense. And preeminently, the phrase for love to cover an offense is to say that the offense has been forgiven. And how we need to be reminded that we cannot, through our own industry and labor, correct the wrongs that we have done. Sometimes if we have done wrong and we're able to make some kind of restitution, we should. But we cannot undo the harm that we have done and we cannot purchase through our own effort a covering for our sin. If you think about it, hatred stirs up strife. Um, what, what would be the thing that you would expect next? Hatred stirs up strife. Um, but, uh, you know, being kind to people is the social glue that makes everything okay. No, 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 that's not what it is. It's love covers all offenses. Well, what is love? To love someone is to want the good of that person and to desire appropriate union with that person, to, to have a, an appropriate relationship with that person. That is what love is. What are offenses? Well, what is, what is sin? 
Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And then what does it mean for love to cover offenses? It means that we are forgiven. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, the verse says, here's, we were, you know, hating and being hated. That's what we were doing. But then what does uh, verses 4 and following say? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Love covers all offenses. You remember, of course, the parable of the prodigal son. One son goes off into the far country and the older son stays. And when the younger son returns, because he's hungry, his father runs to him and receives him home. And you'll remember in the parable, the older son is unimpressed by the reception that the father gives to the prodigal son. And Jesus says, speaking words of love in the voice of the father of the prodigal son to the older brother, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Love covers all offenses. Now, preeminently, love covers all offenses is demonstrated when the blood of Jesus is poured out for us and covers all of the wrongdoing that we have committed. Before he was betrayed at the Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate in a moment, Jesus says in Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this love that covers our offenses should motivate us to love one another. I can only imagine that the apostle Peter in his first letter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, when he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I can only imagine that he has Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 in his mind. Love covers a multitude of sins. So guess what, people? Love as you have been loved. Forgive as you have been forgiven. So not to disappoint, we have the conflict that hatred brings, the cover of love for our offenses, and now we get to meditate on a single word, but. That's the choice before us. So hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. This uh, adversative, but, uh, separates the text into two halves, right? We have hatred stirs up strife on one hand and love covers all offenses on another 
And it sharpens the contrast of the choice before us. There are two ways to live. There is the way of hatred and the way of love. Obviously, we have to choose love. And loving means forgiving people who hate us, forgiving people who have wronged us. We are called to love each other. We're we're also called to love our enemies. The Lord Jesus on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when the Son of God said that, what's the next sentence in the Gospel of Luke? And they cast lots to divide his garments. They were uninterested in what this man on the cross was saying at that moment. But Jesus was interested in them. So too, there can be people that we reach out to and love with the good news of salvation in Jesus, and they hate us for it, or they just brush us aside. But our great fervent hope is that the love that captured our hearts will capture their hearts as well. Now, I'm generally uh, suspicious of the word but because usually people say something nice. Uh, There was uh, somebody in our presbytery who since moved on that I always got nervous when he said, you know, I really love so-and-so. I I really love so-and-so. Since when that phrase came out of his mouth, you knew that he was going to say, but, and, you know, parentheses, this is how, I'm going to stab him in the back. So that's not good. That's not good. But the word but is used in this translation, rightly so, because there really are two ways to live. And that is a consistent theme through Scripture. You are either on the side of the God of love or you are on the side of hatred. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 to 20 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land of that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. We either have hatred for God or love from God. Hatred for God or love from God. If we are unbelievers, then we have a deep and abiding hatred for God. I don't know if you've ever struck up a conversation with someone, maybe on the airplane, maybe just in a random, you know, cafe. And initially, the person just wants to say that, that he or she is uninterested in God. Just, you know, I don't really think about God at all. I'm never really, you know, I'm not religious. But if you talk long enough, I have found, maybe it's just because I'm a horrible person, but I have found that people, in fact, get angry. That the anger shines through. Similarly... If we are believers, we walk in the love that we have received from God. 
That does not mean that every single moment in life is sunshine and sparkling and fireworks and delight after delight. But it does mean that even in the difficult moments of life, there is a deep and abiding love supporting us and sustaining us. If you do not know the deep love of God that overcomes all hatred and that covers all offenses, then I urge you to embrace Jesus offered to you in the gospel. If for any of us who are trusting in Christ, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together, may we turn away from all dislike of anything that the Lord loves, including each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would hate only those things which you hate, the sin that put Jesus on the cross. May we hate that sin, but we, may we love sinners around us, and may we hold forth the word of truth and speak boldly of and dwell upon the rich and abiding love of Christ that covers all offenses, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.